Well, good morning. Before we do anything, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you've, you've made available to us. As we open up your word and study it, Father, we pray for the wisdom that you've promised us. We pray for your help and your guidance. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. A husband and wife woke up one Sunday morning and the wife dressed for church. It was just about time for services to start and she realized her husband hadn't done anything to get ready to go. Perplexed, she asked, why aren't you getting ready for church? He answered, because I don't want to go. She asked, do you have any good reasons? He says, yeah, I have three good reasons. First, the congregation is cold and unfriendly. Second, the singing is always slow and uninspired. And third, no one likes me. The wife replied wisely, well, I have four good reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm and friendly. Second, the singing will be better if you're there. Third, there are at least one or two people in the congregation who like you. And finally, you're the preacher. Get up and get dressed. <laughs> there are times when all of us can think of all the things we'd rather do than come to services. We just don't want to go. We come up with all sorts of reasons. But since you're here this morning, make it a note of it. Recognize the fact that that's good. Thank you for that. You've come and you've put God first in the decision that you made. It's a righteous decision. It's a good decision. You've come to encourage the rest of us. And you're doing that by your very presence. Have you ever come to worship and on the way out thought, you know, I'm really sorry that I came to worship God this morning. Have you ever thought, boy, I didn't really want to thank God for all he's done for me. Have you ever thought, you know, I really hated being reminded of how God loves me and what he did to forgive my sins, to take away my guilt. I haven't ever, no matter how bad the sermon was, note that, I haven't ever regretted any opportunity I've had to worship my Savior, my God, my Lord, Jesus Christ. So this morning I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about the decisions we make. Those decisions, no matter how small, so matter, no matter how seemingly insignificant, how those decisions add up to shape what we are and what we are to become. For 20 years, I've been inspired by a tree outside our bedroom window. One specific tree, and we've got lots of trees, but I love this particular tree. More specifically, I love a branch on that tree. Now, you might think that's really odd to love a branch on a tree. But like most trees, this tree has many branches on all sides. But there's one particular branch growing out of the north side of this tree but it doesn't just go north. As it grows north out of the tree, it makes an immediate U-turn, and it wraps around the tree, and it heads due south. And it's the healthiest branch on the whole tree, nearly as big as the trunk of the tree itself. I've often wondered about that branch. Why didn't it just continue growing up to the north like a normal north branch? What compelled it to be different? Why the dramatic change in direction? Why did that branch grow to be so strong and vital to the rest of the tree? 
Why does it overshadow lesser branches? Branches on the north side of the tree usually don't get as much light as those on the south side and usually aren't as strong or healthy. This branch, however, was different. It started out as a north side branch, but it became a south side branch. It's a peculiar branch. I don't know much about trees or what they think, but I do know that plants will naturally grow toward the sun. That's what this branch did. Sunlight is critical to a plant's growth. It enables them to grow. And this branch reached out for sustenance, or that which enabled sustenance. The sun, at least in our house, rises in the east and moves across the sky to the south where it reaches its highest point. That branch, even though it was a north branch, bent itself first east toward the sun as the sun rose in the sky and then followed the sun little by little to the south. That branch was not satisfied with a little light. It couldn't get enough sunlight. It strove with every ounce of its being to face toward the sun, to benefit from the sunlight. There's something to be learned from that branch. We're supposed to be like that branch. We need to seek with every ounce of strength that we possess, with every fiber in our bodies, in our being, God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus tells us what the greatest command is. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That's just not a recommendation or a suggestion. It's a command. It is a requirement of us. It is essential to our salvation. In Luke 13, Jesus talked about what happens if we don't love the Lord with all that we have. In Luke 13, 23 and 24, someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. Matthew 7 and 21 is the saddest and most sobering scripture in the whole Bible. It says, Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew to you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's sad. These are people, religious people, who see at the judgment day fully expecting to be welcomed into heaven only to realize that their religion and all they've done in the name of that religion is worthless. Can you imagine the shock of being at judgment day and receiving that word from Jesus, I never knew you. There are millions of religious people today heading for that same fate and that's unfortunately the norm. Jesus is telling us that being a normal person, being a normal branch, won't cut it. The branch on my tree wasn't satisfied with being like the other north normal branches. It wanted to be different, to seek out the light, to follow the sun. It strove little by little, cell by cell, over many, many years to be different. That's what we have to do. We absolutely must do 
to seek out the light, God's light, to follow the Son, God's Son. It happens little by little, but the results are dramatic. All too often we just settle for the normal. We don't see the big difference between how we're supposed to live life in Christ and what the world is satisfied with. We settle for just fitting in, for maybe being a little better than most, for maybe being a little more moral than most, perhaps a little more kinder than most, a little more tolerant than most, and we're satisfied with that. My computer died a few weeks ago. I went out and bought a new, fairly inexpensive replacement. And what I bought is okay, but it's not great. The screen is not as bright. It's not as vibrant as my old computer or what I really expected. The colors are sort of washed out, sort of gray. Most of us have gotten used to high-definition TV or we've been to a movie where the film was made in high-definition. And we're amazed at the high definition, how the colors are so bright and beautiful and vibrant, how they jump off the screen. 20 years ago, my new computer might have been okay. But today's standards of high definition TV make it obsolete, make it, again, just really not uh, suitable, really disappointing. But our lives in Christ are supposed to be high definition lives. Jesus says in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He came that we might have high definition lives. God wants us to have abundant lives, beautiful, vibrant, and vivid lives, lives when all too often we're willing to settle for washed out gray. We're willing to settle for what we see around us as normal. We settle for being a north branch shaded by north branches, other north branches. And that's really, really sad, isn't it? That we settle for second best. Well, when I got my new computer home, I didn't like it, so I tried to fix it. The first thing I adjusted was brightness. I turned that up all the way to get more light on the screen. When we're not happy with our lives, when they're grayer than they should be, the first thing we need to do is to turn up the brightness. And we only do that by getting closer and closer to Jesus, the light of our lives, to let him shine more brightly into our lives. We only achieve that by looking more and more to the source of the light to get closer to Jesus. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But that wasn't enough. The next thing I did was to adjust the contrast on the computer. This adjustment makes the difference between light and darkness on the screen sharper, more distinct. It makes the light, the different colors, stand out from one another and stand out from the background. When our lives are too gray and too normal, we need to adjust the contrast in our lives. Today, our society doesn't want to see a spiritual contrast. They want the definition between good and evil to be blurred. Our society seeks to drive down to the lowest common denominator of morality. If we all accept the basest notion of what's good and what's not, then we have, a, as a society, have no basis of judgment. We think that will eliminate dissension and conflict, but that approach doesn't work. It just promotes evil. We see people today 
wanting to confront vulgarity and obscenity. And what do they do? They promote vulgarity and obscenity. You can't successfully combat immorality with more immorality. We have to have contrast. When we do that as the world wants us to do it, our lives become grayer and grayer, less and less vibrant. But there's hope, and we've seen that just recently. As our society continues to go down this route, therein lies a great opportunity for us to demonstrate the great contrast between God's way and the way of the world. Every day we have an opportunity to show the world what an abundant life in Christ really is. A life of love, of dedication, of service to others. We see all of the angst in the world today and all of the strife and all of the nastiness. And this is nothing new. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 and following tells the people, and he tells us, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. We're lights, God's light in the world, living a life that shines to follow God in all his ways, a life that puts God first, a life that shines, a life filled with wisdom, and once we've caught a glimpse, once we've caught a feeling of what it is to live that abundant life, we will be satisfied with nothing less. God calls us to live high-definition lives, and we should do that and not be settle, settling for anything else. You know, one of the most basic questions we can ask in this life is, well, what do I really want? Many don't even ask that question, and unfortunately, many who do ask that question never really successfully answer it. So what do you want? I'm asking you today, what do you really want? Do you really want the abundant life that Jesus offers us? And you might say, well, well who wouldn't? That sounds good. That sounds really nice. But it's more than just saying, yes, that sounds really nice. I want that. If we really want the abundant, vivid, vibrant life that Jesus offers us, we have to make a decision. And that decision comes with a commitment. And making that commitment is not just an intellectual exercise. Yes, that's where I'll go. After making that commitment, it's a commitment that means that we focus on Jesus every minute of every day. It's reflected in each and every decision we make. It's seen in our life as we bend ourselves, just like that branch in my tree, towards God's light. It's reflected in our lives that are different, peculiar, unusual. The life of abundance starts with our bending every thought toward God. Proverbs 23, 7 quite rightly says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now we need to take just a minute to talk about what this abundant life really is. This morning you'll hear numerous TV evangelists on your TV talk about the abundant life as one that gets you a better job, a better house, a better car, better relationships, more good stuff. The best of these folks talk about Jesus 
And if you listen, they talk about Jesus as if it was a good investment opportunity. And that's sad. But the worst of those folks, and you'll hear them as well, they talk about Christianity as if it was a get-rich-quick scheme. It's terrible. You know, there's nothing wrong at all with better houses and better cars and better relationships if you put God first in your life. And there is nothing right about any of that if you don't put God first. The abundant life Jesus talks about and shows us in his word is all about peace in the face of turmoil. It's about joy in the face of adversity. It's about calm confidence in the, in the face of chaos. It's about direction and purpose while we live in a world that is wandering aimlessly in the desert. Of course, if we possess those qualities, yeah, that'll lead to being better at your job. It'll lead to better relationships. It will lead to healthier lives. But the real payoff of the abundant life that we are to live in Christ is none of that. The real payoff is walking hand in hand, day by day, minute by minute, sharing the glory of God as we walk hand in hand with Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. That's the payoff. 1 Peter 2.5 says that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Ephesians 2.22 says that we are being built up together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're building in our lives a temple where God lives. Just like that tree, we're growing little by little into something wonderful. It was a north branch, but it's no longer a north branch. It's a south branch. It's a big stout branch. And nothing will ever change it or turn it back away from the sun. So we have decisions to make. I've always been amazed at how Moses, coming to the end of his life, addressed the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the scripture that Steve just read for us. Moses contrasts life and death. He tells the people all of the good things that will happen if they follow God. And then he tells the people all of the bad things that will happen if they disobey God, if they choose death. I read that and I think, well, duh. It amazes me that the Israelites didn't get it and often chose death. But unfortunately, the world has not changed, and many continue to choose death. And we ask, how could anybody be so dumb? Why would anybody do that? The answer is that people don't do that all at once. They choose death little by little. And we read in the Old Testament numerous accounts of where the Israelites, little by little, decision by decision, chose death. They chose to disobey God. But just like my tree branch, little by little, cell by cell, strove to bend towards the light, many people, little by little, choose darkness over light. And they do that in the little decisions that they make every day. To follow the light, to get closer and closer to Jesus, to live the abundant life that we're supposed to live, we have to make sure that every little decision... No matter how small, no matter how insignificant we might think it might be, we have to make sure that that little decision bends us closer to God. 
The choice, what we become, is rarely between picking between good and evil. It's much more subtle to that than that. It comes down to choosing between Jesus and the world. And as bad as the world may seem, there's a lot of good in the world. And all too often we don't recognize that. But the decisions that we are faced with are decisions of choosing between what's good or maybe even what's very good and what's best. The good of the world versus God. We have to pick between what's good and what's best, and that at times can be very hard. And that's exactly why Paul admonishes the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, to constantly be tuned in to God so that we can recognize the decisions we have to make for what they are and what they will contribute to, to get us help, to help to ask God to help us to make the right decisions, to discern what's important and what's not, to see how the little decisions we make, little by little, contribute to the abundant, vibrant lives God wants us to have in Christ. We see the world and, and what the world promotes, and again, many good things pulling us in all sorts of directions. Nowhere is this distinction or this dynamic more critical or of greater concern than in the choices we make for our children. Our kids are involved in all sorts of things, and that can certainly be good. We want our children to experience good things, to experience good opportunities. But all of that that the world can offer often takes our focus off of God. God the light. And we have to be especially careful in that regard. As with my computer, we can't have a bright, vibrant, sharp picture without lots of light and lots of contrast. Providing this contrast is not just teaching our kids between good and evil. Providing that contrast requires us to pick between what's good, very good, and what's absolutely best. And that's hard. That requires discernment. That requires wisdom. That requires discipline. And as parents, that's our job. It's a constant battle, recognizing that little by little, decision by decision, we're either bending our lives toward Christ or we're not. And little by little, decision by decision, we're either helping our children to realize an abundant life in Christ or we're not. Sure, it's easier to be the north branch on the north side of the tree like all the other north branches. That's normal. Raising kids is difficult at best. There's nothing easy about it. And just settling for and achieving normal is hard enough. But if we settle for normal, if we settle for gray in our own lives, and more importantly, if we settle for normal in our children's lives, we fail as Christians and we fail as parents. It is a sad state of affairs when we do that, and we do it little by little, decision by decision. You know, Susan and I have driven Route 17 down in North Carolina a number of times in the last few years. There are stretches of that highway that are really nice. It's four lanes, it's flat, it's clear. It's not an interstate. There's lots of interesting things to see. There's intersecting roads, there's houses, there's businesses. It's a really nice road. There's a sign every so often on that road that says Route 17 South points that way. 
And that's helpful. Make sure that you're on the right road where you're going where you want to go. But right after that, there'll be a sign that says Route 17 North, and it'll show a U-turn sign. Now, it tickles me every time I see that because I would have thought that most people heading in one direction south on that road would sort of intuitively know that if I wanted to turn around and go north, I would make a U-turn and go the other way. I wouldn't really need a sign that says if I wanted to go in the opposite direction, I needed to turn around. But obviously there was a need because they put up the signs. Perhaps this morning, you're a north branch heading north. And you can be satisfied with that or not. I hope you're not. If you're not, God's word is a sign which indicates that to go the other way, you've got to turn around. You've got to make a U-turn. The special branch of my tree did just that. The lesson is that God can make you what you ought to be. And you can have the abundant life that God intends for all of us to have if we just strive for the light. All of these blessings are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He has the abundant life. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians 3 tells us that we put Christ on in baptism. If you need to do that this morning or if there's anything else that we can do for you as a congregation, why don't you make your needs known as together we stand and sing.